Welcome to another episode of Me and Jeju, a very special one, a two-part, our second part of a two-part series about the Jeju Massacre. Now, to start this episode, we're going to do things a little bit unorthodox and go straight to our Jeju dialect, where we're mm-hmm. dealing with uh, a, a Jeju dialect world, I believe, is it not? Yeah, it is, it is, and yeah, it's an important word for the 4-3 Massacre as well. Yeah, so let's let's go to that now, so we have lots of time to discuss the all second the part, all the things all the about things. the massacre that we have. It's going to be an right. interesting episode. Everyone, stay tuned, and we hope you we hope you take away a lot from it. Ladies and gentlemen, for all intents and purpose, the edges of the universe are now receding. The universe is shrinking. The globe condensing in the room in which we sit, solidifying around the core nugget of truth and knowledge that will soon be placed there in a moment's time which could birth worlds, universes, and rooms much more vast than we could ever perceive before. Because what are words other than doors to thoughts? We cannot think without them. And our usher to see greater vistas than we could ever fathom seeing before is our teacher, Ju Young Han, who is about to bequeath knowledge not only to us, but to you, dear listener, that may not only expand horizons outward, but inward to depths unknown to our primitive selves minutes earlier. Welcome to another corner of Jeju dialect. Wow, that was oh, that's going to be longer than the lesson. Yeah, it's getting longer and longer. I didn't need to. I didn't. I just sat here. I'm like, crap. Two minutes. Type something. Like, I'm, I think I'm going to do the next intro. Okay, Juju. That's fine. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to start doing like. Uh, like I don't like, know. Good lord! Here, introductions for uh, JG Dallas. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being Carcast. If oh, uh, thank you for having me. It's yeah. a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, um, as it is apparent by our first segments, we are doing a special about Jeju. Uh, the massacre uprising Jeju Sasam Jeju four three, and for yeah. today's special episode, we have a special word do we not julia yeah uh so i try to think of any words you know like relating to um the uprising instant mm-hmm. and i thought um a, a movie uh, made uh you know about the the sasam mm-hmm. called jisu jisu Jisoo. Yeah, Jisoo is a uh, potato. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, back then a lot of people had to, you know, hide in caves, you know. So, like, the only uh, food they could, you know, bring in with them was um, potatoes, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a lot of people, you know, relied on that food. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The movie, uh, the name was Jisoo, and you know, like, um, yeah. So I thought it would be good. Very appropriate. Very appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl, do you remember when that movie came out? I was living uh, here. Yeah, I was actually just about to look it up. I think it was two thousand seven, two thousand between two thousand six and two thousand seven. I'll look it up. Juju, do you remember? Uh, you know, like it was, it was a while ago, two thousand six. Yeah, 10, more than 10 years ago. Yeah, at least, mm. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Really powerful movie. 
They did um, back in the day when they did it, they had a special screening for the foreigners um, mm-hmm. and they had the English uh, subtitles right. so that everyone, everyone on the island could come and appreciate it. It was very mm-hmm. impactful movie. Very, very. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I saw it without English subtitles, unfortunately. I haven't seen it with English, but it, it's so interesting that- because it has both, right? Like it has uh, also Korean subtitles for because of the Jeju dialect. Because of the Jeju dialect. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was a, just thinking that must have been hard to understand, Daryl. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I've seen it a couple times now, so it, it kind of helps. I remember the first time I was in a, like a little art house theater. It's when I was living in Seoul, and yeah. I really wanted to see it. And I, um, so we went, and they didn't have English subtitles at that time. Um, yeah, no, it's an art house film. Like it's really artistic. It's yes. black and white. Yeah, um, yeah. very small cast, and uh, potatoes are one of the things that they are. Constant, not constantly but often seen eating because it's something that in the winter that stays that uh keeps for, for a, spoil. a long period of time yeah mm-hmm. that doesn't spoil mm-hmm. that easily um it's and it won the con film award too right like it was a really really big film yeah um and i believe our uh the gentleman mr yang he he was in it was he not the man who provides music for us He's one of the actors. He was one of the actors. Yes. And can't remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so Jisul, can you say it for us one more time? Jisul. Perfect. And the Korean word for potato is gumja. So it's not even similar yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, as a, as a uh, Jeju native um, and, and feel free to decline, I, I, how has the the massacre touched your family, if you, if you don't mind me asking? So actually, I didn't know anything about it, but like a couple of years ago, I asked my mom, you know, like if she knows anyone, you know, who uh, was killed by that, um, you know, like in her family. And she said um, her oldest brother, uh, was mm. killed at, uh, by you know mm-hmm. you know or at that time, and it was my grand grandfather's uh, first and oldest son. Oh. and you know like the the police just took him, um, and my grandfather um, bribed the police. You oh. know. That yeah, they can, and they actually promised that they are gonna, you know, let him free, mm-hmm. but um, they killed him anyway. Mm. So, um, wow, what? Yeah. Wow, how do you? Did your mom? How old was she? Did she, she tell you that? Not born yet? Mm. Um, oh yeah, okay, yeah. okay. So my grandmother had to uh, go to the police station and you know try to. Can I say it? Be, not retrieve um, the the body? You know? Yes, retrieve. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Wow. So he had, he had to you know make sure that like you know like the body the you know because there's a lot of you know dead bodies mm-hmm. here. You you know walk around and see you know mm-hmm. every one of them and make mm-hmm. sure. You know, to take his to take his boy home yeah that that's a similar i mean mm-hmm. my wife her uh 
I guess it would be her great grandfather. Similar thing happened. He was they were arrested. They had to bribe land or whatever uh, to get him back. Um, there's a theory uh, that some academics proclaim that um, a lot of the wealth in Jeju is connected to not a lot, but some of the wealth in Jeju and some of the wealthy families in Jeju are connected to the massacre in that way. Oh, it's like a the land that, grab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because, well, also like, um, that makes sense. a lot of people also uh, gave their daughters to members of the Northwest Youth Leagues to prevent them from being murdered or raped or right. for other horrible things to happen. So there's a lot of right. different types of exchanges like that to prevent, just to, you know, to preserve, plus all the villages on the, on the mountain, right? Like if you owned a house there, well, the band that came in, you, your house is gone. You don't own anything yeah. anymore, yeah. right? So thank you for sharing that with us. Oh. I'm sorry. It's, it's every, everyone, like we said, it touches everyone here. So mm -hmm. um, in the movie, I checked, it's much earlier. It's 2012. I thought it was. I don't oh, really? Was, yeah. It was, oh. it's, oh. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was 20. That's surprising, but okay. That is, a, yeah. that's, a, that's older. That's yeah. older. <laughs> And it had a budget of only 190,000 US dollars, which is really like tiny, but it's such a powerful movie. Uh, I suggest everyone go see it. So um, can, can you use this, the word in a sentence for us by any chance? <laughs> oh, yes, nobody uses that word anymore. Even right. Is it, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, maybe like, 지슬 먹으라. Uh, eat, 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 eat your potato. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really not a. Are, are many of the like vegetable words? Are they? Are any of them common in Jeju dialect? What we still use nombi. Nombi is uh, radish. Radish. Uh, okay. Yeah. Moo. Yeah. Moo. Yeah. Yeah. I've because oh, I've never you... heard of jisul used anywhere. Yeah. No, that's right. Nor have I. Huh. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much, Jiyoung. This is a, uh, it's great. Um, I I hope, like I said, go see the movie if you haven't. And uh, until next time, Jiyoung, enjoy your safe drive home. A safe drive home, Juju. <laughs> Bye. All right. So, Daryl, now we're about to embark on uh, part two of our little four three educational um episodes yeah part two of two uh two and two. Mm -hmm. if you didn't get a chance to listen to the first one i suggest you go back that was covering it's helpful. kind of yeah the the first part of uh the massacre up until the up until september 21st 1954 which is when they took the ban off of the um the, the mountainous Radius. areas yeah. that everybody can now kind of go back there. And it's sort of like travel the, freely. Yeah. Official mm -hmm. end. That's mm -hmm. kind of the mark that everybody, that's the mark that uh, the government picks. And most scholars say that's okay. That's the end of it. But as we know, with most massacres, massacre, and right. most things that like, it continues as we know, right. like it's still a thing that affects today. And right. we're are talking about the movement to the apology that uh, president uh, no gave in uh, 2003 that's how long it was from the end of the massacre which is 49 years so with the massacre technically ending 
uh, nothing really happened until the spring of the 1960s because we're still underneath the dictatorship of um, Si Myung-ri. But when he and to was, be clear about mm. what Daryl's saying, nothing really happened. Is is Thank no you. one's even having a conversation. The, mm-hmm. the the massacre is not being discussed. Uh, even people that were involved in the massacre are not talking freely to their neighbors about it. It's very much hidden yeah. um, for the benefit of them, you know, just so they can get jobs. So mm-hmm. really, really, when we say nothing's happened, down to not even conversations can, on can the streets. I, yeah. Can I be yeah, honest with so, you? I bet you a lot yeah. of people still felt it was the same. It was still continuing, right? Like Americans were still here. Uh, police oh, yeah. were still here. Like uh, how And how would they know, especially mm. in light of the fact that everyone was hiding it? How mm. was it, you know, information was certainly not getting spread. So mm. I think probably not talking about it was, you know, preserving uh-huh. what was left of their, you know, their homes, their families. Yeah, yeah. and so... so yeah. Nothing happened. Uh, it was the status quo. Let's not say nothing happened because that's very rude of me. But the, it stayed pretty much consistent until the spring of 1960 when President Simon Rhee was ousted for like rigging his vice presidential election. And that a whole was another drama. Yeah. <laughs> then, then we have like a one. That was year... the start of it, though. Yeah, this was Getting the start booted. of it. He was get. He got booted. Yeah. And people could on the island now started like having this optimism because there was a period of like pro-democracy. And so there Mm -hmm. was people trying to research about what happened. Um, But that only lasted a year, this period of optimism uh, until the dictatorship of uh, Park Chung-hee came in with a military coup in 1961. And that was it. That's when it became taboo. This is when uh, the real, the political and military oppression of the massacre really uh, begins. And we see that in September of 1978 when Hyun Ki-young, who's a Jeju writer and a massacre victim, well, uh, yeah, he's a massacre victim, who writes the novella Suni Samchon, which is about a man from Seoul, a Jeju native who works in Seoul, returning to Jeju for Jesa. What happens is the book is ostensibly about the massacre and includes a scene of from the Bukjong massacre. So after it was published, uh, Hyung Ki-young was detained and beaten for three days by the National uh, Intelligence Services. But his publication of the book already had the impact right. of galvanizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And student movements started and, picking and up. And educating. Let's remember, I think that was one of the keys because uh, it, this really got taken up by the younger, you know, it wasn't mm. necessarily people that had a part in the massacre or that was <laughs> affected per se. Uh-huh. But it was the young, it was the young people that read his novella and felt, um, Empower, I don't know if that's the right empowered. word. I go yeah. Empowered, yeah, to, to speak up about it and then to de- start demanding some well, different things. Well, they didn't, some, they weren't vocal. They weren't demanding anything. They, but it, it, okay. the, the student movements were like underground trying to do research. And mm. it was like a period oh, good. Of, 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 of waiting almost from the good time. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from 1978 to 1987, this was a period of preparation by activists and scholars who were slowly and secretly rediscovering the truths and writing stuff down and gathering evidence. And it was in 1988 when President Cho Duan came to an end. Um, and with it, South Korean series of dictators, the push for truth really like began on Jeju. And in 1992, March, Darangshi Cave was discovered. And this cave... This is important. It's so important that they made a replica of it in the Jeju uh, 4-3 Museum, right? right? 
Inside, there was 11 bodies, seven men, three women, and a child, and they all died of asphyxiation. And the way they died was uh, it was common practice for the military to find caves on the in the mountainous region because it's pox. People were hiding. Mm-hmm. Tons of them. That, Tons. Um, th- they would light fires at the mouth of it, and either what would happen is the people inside would asphyxiate or they would come out and get killed. Unfortunately, these people asphyxiated, but their, the, the discovery of their bodies was proof that no, Finally. The, the, yeah, the the uh, rebels were not behind all these masters, all the deaths. It was, I'm always still shocked at the date of 1992. I'm, I, I still, that date still, the fact that nobody, and if I remember correctly, and I think you wrote an article about this, if I remember correctly, it was, it was one of the survivors that tipped the research team off and was like, hey, listen, yep. you know, come here, come here. Yep. I know about this cave. I, th- yeah. I think this might be helpful for you. 1992. Two, yeah, 1992, their bodies were found. I actually interviewed Gosh. that man who told yeah. the researchers yeah. about oh, where the did. bodies were. The one yeah. that was, like, gave them the tip. Wow. Yeah. And uh, the government still tried to cover up the case. R- ah, mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, you know, like, never mind. And what did they do? They sealed the cave off, if I they remember correctly. The- and they uh, they bribed? Did they bribe? What's the word I should use here? They bribed Coerce. the families? No, they coerced. Coerce. They forced the families to discard the ashes of the people that were inside the cave in right. the ocean so there wouldn't be any, like, memorial site to, Yeah, so this like, cave is just yeah. nothing. You know, like, it's a nothing cave. You know, get the bodies mm. out, go, yeah. Mm. Wow, wow. And, and but, wow. but... Uh, the interesting thing is, even with like the Sam, Sunni Samchal, it's too late. It's too late once it's out the, of the, the news had the news had started spreading exactly. Yeah. and slowly, this, but here uh, we go. You know, yeah. Yeah, and it would take another uh, like eight years, but eventually the JJ Special Act would be passed, and this special act is so important because it actually gave government funding and a government investigation Capacity, into yes, yeah, into uh, looking something. at the to investigate, to come to the island, blah, 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 to do all that, and to come up with a report. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's kind of all bureaucratic from this point because the, there's a lot of haggling over, like, who should be on the committees, who should... Uh, oh, people, yes, of course. They don't want to accept it, but eventually they do. And Ro, uh, President Moon eventually comes to... Uh, Jeju on October 31st, 2003, and apologizes at the Ramada Plaza Hotel, Jeju, for the government's massacre. During during the, not anything to do necessarily about 4-3, right? No, he it just came, the, it was just October. Just, yeah. Six yeah, months so. after they accepted the thing. They didn't so. want to come on the massacre date, right. uh, April 3rd, probably because it's too politically charged at that time. Yeah. Yep. And then he did come on April 3rd, 2006, and that was the mm-hmm. first president to come to Jeju to make... Uh, an apology to make an appearance yeah, at the event. Respects. Which right. ex- and the 10, event, just people. to be clear, mm. just for our listeners, 4-3, there will be an event uh, every 4-3 commem- mm. commemorating, you know, the occurrence. So, mm. um, and it's grown quite large over the years. So that, like, that's what mm. Daryl's saying is yeah. this was the first time uh, government in a government capacity yeah. came down to be a part of this. Well, the president. The, um, right, right, right. And Sorry, I'm not, the prime, you're right, right. Yeah. And so... Moon and then Moon comes the next president in 2018. 
the gap the gap yeah. is just well but mm. even i mean and then you know and we'll get into this you know with our interview mm. we, we're we're interviewing apologists to like really to break down the apology of this mm-hmm. but even the apology occurred but then there is still you know like the two the, the two political parties arguing over how the word should be yeah. in the official documents one wanted to say it was still a um a, a quelling of communism Versus, uh, what was the other language, Daryl? The massacre, right? Yeah, well, Versus or uprising. A, uprising. Uprising was a big one too. And right. So this was still going on, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, we 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 can't we can't use these words. We got to mm. use these words, uh, mm. and then yeah. So the, the apology is like greatly important, right? It's yeah. still people reference it today when they talk about the oh, the, the massacre. Um, but I mean, the, we actually have two. Apologies uh, coming out. You can say, speak yeah. a lot more about this than than yeah. either of us can. So let's let's go to the interview now and, and well, and, and maybe maybe Daryl, before we cut too quickly, and maybe mm-hmm. just a really quick update on exactly what an apologist, you know, because they're they might go oh, into sure. it a little bit. But let's just prep our listeners. Uh-huh. Well, they study uh, apologies, political mm-hmm. apologies given by. Uh, governments. politicians, governments mm-hmm. for uh, atrocities that have happened in their government's history. And they came to Jeju to study uh, Rose, uh, uh, President Noh's apology President that he gave in 2000. And that's when you met them. And right. I came, yeah, I met them a couple of years back when they came down yeah. to to talk to people about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It yeah. Was, so, uh, you know, I had never heard this term before. So I just thought it was important for you listeners to know mm. what it is that we're about to. I, we, we've been very excited to to interview these these ladies. Mm. So. I think it's I think it's I think it's going to be educational for sure. To discuss more about this apology are two members of a research team behind a European Research Council funded project called Political Apologies Across Cultures. The four member team studies political apologies to understand essentially what they are, what they look like, how they are received and to see how cross-cultural differences and similarities between them. The project late last month held a Zoom conference to discuss uh, President Rowe's apology. And with us today to talk more about it and their project is Marika Zudzman, a PhD candidate at Tilburg University, and Tai Sagahari Dickey, a postdoctorate. Um, so thank you all for being here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So now let's get started talking about your project. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing over the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so we are a um, team of researchers from Tilburg University, and it's led by Professor Juliette Schaafsma. Mm. And uh, we are looking into political apologies, as you say. <laughs> and uh, particularly my uh, side of the research is, is looking into the expression and the reception of apologies. Um, and this is a bit based from the idea that we we you see that there is a rise of apologies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also that we have captured in that database that you can find on our website, but we've created a database in which we see, in which we uh, collected apologies across the world. So these are apologies mm-hmm. for human rights violations offered by national leaders. Um, and we wanted, we were interested in this because you see that they're more prevalent and Mm -hmm. we wanted to know, is this really the case? Um, how do these apologies look like for what kind of human rights violations? Mm -hmm. 
And what do people actually think of apologies? Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of the basic premise. <laughs> really, really cool work. Yeah, really, very, very fascinating. And for those just listening, that was uh, Marika Zudzman. And um, yeah, if you do look at the your website, which is fascinating, I suggest everyone to do it. It's, mm-hmm. You can literally see on the timeline the, like, the collection the of, of of all the apologies and how there are so many more now than there was before. And then you can click on the different countries and see when they were. And the fact that they are accumulating, like it, it leads you to think that we're in an age of like political apologies, which is, is fascinating. Now, like where did the idea come from? There must have been like a eureka moment, I would imagine, that like someone sitting around a table would come up with this <laughs> idea to start categorizing and looking at them. No? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Eureka moment is uh, is is when Juliet's our our professor came uh, uh, uh-huh. had. Um, I think I don't know. I think that's bad. That's based also on just her interest or our interest in um, um, like what happens after violence, what happens after mm. conflict, after after uh, uh, tension has happened. And uh, there are several ways to deal with the past, as they say, and apologies are one of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, they're interesting, right? Like there's no, in, in essence, you don't really get anything like physically or materially. Yeah. They're just words in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do see that they're on a rise and, and you do, do see that people really value, um, uh, an apology. So I think that was also her interest. I don't know mm-hmm. if you have anything to add to, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, um, there, especially with, with this recognition or this increase in the number of apologies, I think there are various scholars around the world who study this and they have kind of coined the term and used the term age of apology. Um, so it, it it makes sense that then you would want to have some sort of database or categorization. Um, yeah, I, I would actually love to go back now and ask Juliet, um, you know, our, our, our principal investigator. So where when was that moment yeah. when you thought we need to have that? Because there are there have been other databases on a smaller scale. And I think uh, Marika and and Juliet use that as a basis to start from uh, and build build the database that we have now. How many how many countries are a part of it to you uh, right now? How many countries have you guys categorized in total? About yeah, we have about uh, seventy five, I think now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you see. And that's the thing, because they say there's a universal trend, which was also something we wanted to look at. Is this really universal? Yeah. Uh, and you can see that it's it's not necessarily universal. There oh. are countries that have not apologized. Take, for instance, China or uh, countries in the Middle East. Um, you've also seen there's, there are countries in South Africa that have apologized, but there is large, uh, particularly a number of countries that haven't. So it's it's not necessarily universal. Um, what is interesting is that there are certain countries that you wouldn't expect it from that did that that do have apologized a lot. People say that Japan, for instance, haven't apologized uh, a lot, but but we do capture we have captured many apologies from Japan. The thing is, though, that what's actually in those apologies is often not satisfactory. For victim groups, and that makes it problematic. 
Exactly. I think that's one of the biggest tensions between Japan and South Korea, for instance, is that these apologies are not exactly what people were were looking for. Yeah, exactly. Is it fair to say that these countries that are apologizing, are they mostly democratic countries? Like, what have you what do you see when you look at all of them like that? Yeah, you can you can see that most of them are uh, democ- uh, countries in transition to democratic countries, mm. um, or uh, 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 neoliberalist countries. Um, yeah. So already democracies that are working on their sort of coming to terms with the past. Mm-hmm. So you can clearly see that that's that's a trend uh, uh, within the age of apology. Yeah. And certainly for when we when we jump into Jeju, that was certainly the case here in South Korea based on the uh, the the governments that were in place before that just were disregarding, completely ignoring. And then finally, when when that power was taken away, when the military coup and all that was gone and then it was really elected, then the president was like, well, maybe maybe now's the time to do this. What is what is something interesting that you learned from? Like that, that you wouldn't expect from learning about all these different apologies. There's got to be something that sticks out to you. It's fascinating work. Yeah, I think, I don't know if this is something that, that was unexpected, but I think one of the things, particularly with the case studies that we did, where we examined um, apologies that have been given for an actual human rights violation, of which one of them is the Jeju 4.3 case. Um, I think what, to me, just comes home is just how valuable people do find it. Uh, both those from the victim community, the the ones that the apology was actually addressed to, but also people in the wider public. Um, they, they definitely valued the apology in and of itself. Um, but it always felt that there was like a, a follow-up statement to that, that not enough had been done or that there were, there were things that were missing. Um, and, and there are various reasons for that, and we can go into that. But I think that's one of the things that, that has really stuck with me from, from what we found. That's fascinating. Because I, like I do, when I hear about these apologies, I always think that maybe they are just words, right? Like they're just tokens that are given. But I mean, n- n- no one's ever really like apologized to me, so I don't know how that would actually feel. And in the case of Jeju, you do talk to people. I remember interviewing people specifically uh, about the apology too, asking what it means to you when the, uh, particularly when the other apologies came out later. And they're like the first apology that was the one that covered everyone. Every every apology that has come since doesn't really matter because that first one from Roe, right? And is that yeah. what you found? It's like yeah, yeah. They see it as such an like it's such a historical moment where where uh, a person on a national level on an official uh, uh, role mm-hmm. acknowledges the suffering the pain the violence that happened especially in a place like or jeju or in south korean society where where the violence that happened during that time is so long been neglected that finally somebody acknowledges that is 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 yeah that's, that's so important yeah and and also in El Salvador, which is the mm. other case study, there's been also a lot of um, actually in all three case studies, there's been denial and neglect of mm. uh, of what happened. And in all they they in all three cases, they talk about 
uh, like like a cloud that has lifted and and a taboo that has been broken and such a relief that right. finally somebody talks about this. That's uh, extremely important. Right. Yeah, there's a, a sense of relief because mm -hmm. there has been such a long period of silence and suppression after something so horrible has happened and then not being able to talk about it and even being told well, actually, it didn't happen the way it did, or you must have been guilty, or those who, you know, the victims were guilty of mm -hmm. something. So it's just, it's, they are words. It is, like you were saying, um, Daryl, that it's, you know, there isn't actually anything physical or tangible. It is a statement. They are words. But actually, the, the, the symbolic meaning of what that represents, I think, is what makes such a difference in terms of the apology itself. And this first one after that long period of silence yeah yeah it's such a it's such a like a a way of and to use modern word is like the gaslighting is so extreme that Daryl did an interview uh, way back in the day, and the woman said that you know when when the president gave his apology down here at the JGP Peace Forum, they all burst into applause. And she said, you know, prior to that, you literally couldn't. She couldn't literally even speak the words, you know, out of her mouth. No one. It was just not allowed. It was so taboo that you couldn't even talk about it um, when she knew it happened. You know, she was there. She knew it happened. And yeah, me, and then yeah, yeah. it's. Sometimes, I mean, on Jeju, that was less the case, but in uh, on the peninsula, where mm -hmm. we also spoke to people uh, from sort of the general public, and yeah. we asked them the same questions as on the island, like, and we, did you know about the apology? What do you think of it? Um, was it the right person, right um, time? But some of them, it was quite difficult to find mm. actually uh, in participants to talk about this. When the moment when they heard it was a political subject, they they felt they were hesitant. Um, they they wanted to know more. They wanted to be sure what is it mm -hmm. exactly about. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's actually I think quite um, exemplary of of the situation that is still in. Yeah. And Marike, we we talked we we did like a prior to our interview with you, we we released a podcast, uh, just like a primer, like an educational, what is four three about? And Daryl and I talked about it. I also have found um, between traveling on the mainland, not only would people be hesitant, but I people really didn't even actually know there wasn't you know, it's not getting talked about. So how would they know about it? So when you're bringing this up or talking about it, oh, you, you know, however it would get brought up, there was just almost a blank slate on on a lot of my friends' faces. Like we have no idea about that or we kind of know, but we don't know any details. So there's that too to kind of reckon with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we found that as well. Right. Yeah. So yeah. since we are talking about your work here, how long were you guys here for? Who did you speak to? What, what 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 did your field work look like? Oh, such great memories, actually. I can't <laughs> believe um, that we actually were able to do that before there was even such a thing as COVID or a yeah. pandemic. <laughs> um, so I think, Marika, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We spent two weeks on the island of Jeju. Um, well, actually, before that, Marika and Juliette came out and did a, about a week's uh, worth of introductory kind of visits. Yeah, um, we went. We went to the commemoration in two thousand nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And then and then Mirik and I came back a couple of months later and we spent two weeks on the island of Jeju. We we spent we lived for a week in Jeju City and then a week in Sogripo. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we had rented a car and we ended up traveling all over the island um, to interview people. Um, and then after that, we went and spent another two and a half weeks or so, I think, in Seoul. Um, and we interviewed people from the general public uh, in Seoul and the suburbs and also a little bit elsewhere around the country. Were those, were those uh, well, I'm guessing not because you just mentioned it, but how did you go about approaching people in, in both the island and uh, the mainland? Was it set up? Was it, you know, a microphone in your hands going up to someone on the street? How was this all um, accomplished? You want to go ahead, Rika? Yeah, this is also one of the reasons why um, Juliette, so the principal investigator, and I um, visited in April, um, was to go to the commemoration because that was like a nice uh, combination, (laughs) and also. meet with our collaborators. So we set up a collaboration with um, uh, the university in Seoul and uh, Korea University. And uh, there was a research assistant there that came with us to the island. And there we met uh, with uh, some people from the uh, various associations there, the Jeju Mm. Committee. And there we also uh, met with uh, Jimin Kim, who is uh, one of our collaborators as well. Mm-hmm. And through her, we found, because we also needed translators, of course. Yes, yes, um, of course. So we, uh, through, through her and her contacts, we found um, translators uh, on the island because we wanted people from the island. Um, and Important, the, yes. they helped us to find um, participants as well. Okay. So, and that was a bit through sort of snowballing or through people from the committee or the association. We had we wanted, you know, an even distribution with age, uh, gender, mm-hmm. uh, education level as well. So we yeah. wanted uh, also people not only from the city. So those kinds of things we kept in mind. Mm-hmm. And um, this is how we uh, went about the island. And then we would interview them sometimes in their house sometimes in a cafe mm-hmm. um, with a translator. So that sometimes was, you know, it, you try to keep the flow of the conversation going as much as possible. And I think we did a good job, but mm-hmm. uh, there is something, some bits, of course, that makes it a bit difficult uh, using a translator. Yeah. But, I uh, bet, yeah. And it was so, such a nice experience, though. These okay. people in Jeju were so nice. Yeah. yeah. They really, Jeju people really are something, something special for sure. Yeah. So did Jeju people, were they more open and welcoming to this uh, line of conversation than you found in Seoul? Was it an obvious difference between the two? Yeah, I think um, for the most part, yes. Uh, I think a lot of them felt that, I think it was important to them that that there was someone who was interested in this topic and was asking them these questions. Yes. Um, Yes. So yes, they were definitely more welcoming compared to uh, the peninsula. Okay. There was still some uh, hesitation and fear, especially when uh, among the older participants or interviewees, um, because of you know what we were talking about earlier about that fear and the mm-hmm. stigma that still existed um, from you know all those years before that. So we 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 did struggle sometimes to find people, particularly in the, with the, kind of among the older uh, group that we were looking for. Um, yeah, but but overall, yeah. I think 
they were happy. They felt like, oh, somebody is interested in what we what we want, uh, what we what we've experienced, and interested in this topic, and they want to hear what we have to say. And I think that was good. Daryl and I have had that same exact experience many times, where it's just like, oh, you're American, and you know, well, not, not you know, for me, I'm American. Um, oh, and you want to, and you know about this? Oh, and and you want to hear about this? Yeah. So it's it's been it's very interesting. Daryl looks like he's winding up for a question here. <laughs> I have some, yeah. Um, so, um, well, okay, so let's talk about the apology itself then. What did you learn from your studies about the specific apology from Roe? Yeah. Um, I, do you want to, do you want to go at T or? <laughs> Sorry, I just want to make sure I understand your question. So mm. you want to know about the apology or about what people no. thought about the apology? About what people thought. Like, it's, it's fascinating to me, like, because yeah. I guess there's two frames of way we could go about it is how you, how you categorize the apology and also how the apology was received by the people in, uh, in as a whole. Right. So I would like to know, your findings, I kind of left it open sure. generally to see what you yeah. guys would come up with. Yeah. Um, so I, maybe I'll say a couple of things in the mini about the survey. And then mm. if you want to say a bit more about the interviews. Um, mm. So we actually, we did two studies, parallel studies. Mm -hmm. um, one was a, a set of interviews and I'll let Marika talk a little bit more about that. And then we also did a survey. Uh, where we had a larger number of people um, answer questions on a questionnaire and we asked them to evaluate how what we called meaningful they found the apology and how valuable they found it. Um, so we asked them to rate, you know, on a scale of one to five, you know, how sincere they felt the apology was, um, how satisfactory it was, how, how, how much honor or how honorable it was, but also how important or necessary they felt it was. And we 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 ask this because there is research out there that suggests that uh, an apology is effective or is more accepted if it is seen to be more sincere, if it is seen to be, um, you know, heartfelt and and satisfies kind of what people are expecting in an apology. Um, but we also were interested in in you know understanding whether people felt that as a result of that the apology. Um, played a role or had a function in leading to reconciliation or restoring honor and healing. Because, I mean, otherwise, what is the point of an apology in a sense? Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that a lot of people, uh, scholars look for. And so we were interested in understanding whether people felt that it had actually achieved this. Um, and so we, we, we looked at this through, through this survey. Um, and um, interestingly enough, what we found in the case of, of South Korea, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at my notes to make sure that I say this correctly. What we found was that, that actually it was um, the people of Jeju more than those um, in the peninsula found uh, the apology to be meaningful. So they were more likely to say, yes, it is sincere, it is heartfelt, it is satisfactory. And because they found it meaningful, they also felt that it had a function towards healing and reconciliation. Um, whereas when it came to uh, the, their evaluation of it, in a sense, uh, as being value, um, valuable, necessary, important, there wasn't as much of a difference between oh. uh, those on the island of Jeju and those uh, in the peninsula. They, they, they were about equally uh, in agreement uh, in, in their evaluation of it as, as valuable. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, that's, I'll, I'll just leave it at that and um, maybe we can come back. Okay. 
Wow. Sure. Was there any difference between the south, like the different cities on the different sides on Jeju when you said that? That's really fascinating. Yeah, we didn't we didn't really uh, test that in a sense, or we didn't uh-huh. look at any differences. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be interesting. We don't actually have the information because, you know, we respect people's privacy, so we didn't necessarily uh, ask them, well, where do you live, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Right. Um, but that's that's a good question. It would have been interesting also to see whether there were differences between people who lived in the more urban areas or whether they lived in the the, the, the rural countryside. areas. Of the right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But we, did, we don't have that information. We haven't tested mm-hmm. for it. Marika, you, you did the, the interviews then? Yeah, so we both did the interviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, I'm working on the uh, interview paper, though. So that's, oh. I think, why, why I was like, she can talk to him. Well, you've been delegating for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So the interviews uh, were based on sort of the same premise as what uh, Tia just discussed. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think one of the interesting things is... Like we just mentioned, um, apologies are seen as as very significant. The acknowledgement, the public recognition, the first time, etc. Et so all these things are they're they're like overall in all three countries um, for the general public as well as the victim community. It was extremely important. But you see some nuances um, between the countries, which I think might be interesting to uh, talk about here. Is that you see, for instance, in in uh, the United Kingdom, the, which is one of our three case studies, they would talk a lot about the fact that through the apology, um, the the victims were vindicated, that they were exonerated, that they were finally um, seen mm. as innocent. Um, while that was also something that was mentioned on on Jeju, um, but on Jeju um, or in in the Republic of Korea, they would talk a lot about the importance of the restoration of honor and reputation. And yes. many would speak about the, the healing of Han, which is, I think, a concept that's familiar uh, to you. Um, and that that this taboo was lifted, that, that was mm. extremely important. And something that we also discussed uh, during um, uh, that meeting that we had a couple of weeks ago is that what we did find interesting is that in the UK and in El Salvador, they would speak about uh, the fact uh, that they would need rep- uh, prosecutions. Prosecutions yeah. is something uh. that that, that um, is something that would be a logic follow-up. But, yeah. however, um, that's not something that they would speak about in the Republic of Korea. Actually, that's not no. They and we were like, okay, how how is that? How come yeah. that yeah. Uh, that they won't talk about this? And uh, people during the meeting of a couple of weeks ago, they also said that this is because after after Jeju 4.3, uh, the people on the island were still living together. So perpetrators and victims were still living on yes. the same island yes. and had to live together while this um, neglect and denial was still going on. So how how can you ask for prosecutions when mm. that's 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 your everyday life? Yeah. Um, that yeah. was one of the answers we got from uh, during the meeting a couple of oh. weeks ago, and I found that very interesting. Um, that that's just that 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 was not so prevalent in uh, South Korea. I found that too. That's actually something that uh, personally kind of frustrates me about this because 
I, I'm always wondering, like, okay, so what about prosecutions? What about, you know, trying to find people who are guilty? Because I talked to, I've interviewed some people, and they would tell me, oh, yeah, the, I can point out to murderers' yeah, my houses. neighbor. Yeah. yeah. Where these people, yeah. not necessarily still are, but the, where the houses that were ill-gotten through the massacre are and all these things. And, and it just surprises to me that nobody ever, ever talks about trying to get restitution. Well, restitution from the government, yes, but not like... That's prosecutions a, yeah, or anything right. like that whatsoever which is interesting like it's fascinating that that's something that you guys also like were looking at yeah yeah or uh, like that was one of the things that that we like we wouldn't necessarily ask for it mm -hmm. um but it was so interesting that that in almost all interviews in El Salvador and in uh, the United Kingdom, they would talk about it, but in, in uh, Korea, they wouldn't. So that, that was, that was indeed interesting. And yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I guess if it's, if it's been so widespread and so mm. sort of omnipresent, the violence and um, that afterwards it's been so, so neglected, you can sort of imagine like, what do you do? Right. So you, you, you start looking for ways where, where you can find, um, uh, where you can sort of get your grief uh, recognized. And if that's not through court cases, mm -hmm. then um, any other way that you, that, that uh, that's possible, I, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Is, did you speak or get any results back from people that just completely disregarded the apology from Roe by any chance or anyone who said it wasn't impactful or just who doesn't care about it or anything? Yeah. On Jeju Island, there was one interview that I did um, with an older woman who, um, not so much that she did not recognize the apology, but she was probably the most skeptical of of the massacre itself. That um, mm. uh, I think just her political leaning uh, affected kind of how she viewed and understood the massacre and therefore then the apology. Um, and so it was actually one of the most difficult interviews um, that I had um, because it she just it, it felt like she couldn't get on board with the questions that I was asking. And I tried different ways to ask the questions and it actually just went completely South, real quick. <laughs> it was it was very it was unexpected. I we we mm. that I think that was the only one where we had this kind of reaction uh, from someone on the island. We had a few more like that, I think, on the peninsula. Yeah, I was just about to say, I wondered if that would have been the case if, you know, yeah. if she maybe wasn't a Jeju native, but, you know, you don't know that, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, you see that um, for the general public, um, there's just a lot more cynicism about the apology. So they would recognize that it's important and that uh, that it's an historical moment, etc. But they would also very often after that say, but what good does it do? It's been so long mm. ago. Okay. Why would you re reopen the wounds? Yeah. Um, and then they refer to the massacres as well. And they would say, what about, you know, uh, what about they would refer to other massacres indeed. Yeah. And they would also talk about the person. Uh, so President No, of course, um, he said, they say, oh yeah, but he was a human rights lawyer. Of course he does it, you know, like mm -hmm. obviously he, he should have done it. And, and in the other countries, it's, it, they would also, they would also always speak about what, whatever came after and they would, and they would evaluate the apology based on the experiences they had after, afterwards. 
Right. Yeah, I was wondering about that because there's been some some things that have happened on the island that make me um qu- like not question his apology, but it almost tarnishes it in some way because there have been like the issues with the naval base and then you find out I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Gongjong naval base, but when you find out how the military actually brought the naval base here and like rigged elections and you know like roughed up protesters and like it's 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 really underhanded when you the report that came out a couple of years ago and you they apologized afterwards like um president moon came here and apologized for the uh naval base situation and you're just like well i mean he that's what's not the, congruent with yeah. with his actions. Yeah. Or they're I mean, just going to keep doing this and apologize for it again in the future. That's yeah. so which leads I, to the question that I wanted to ask. Sorry, Alexis. Um no, is the cynicism in age groups? Like you you talk to different age groups and stuff. So I was wondering if how the older generation accepted that or perceived that apology compared to possibly younger generations. Hmm. That's interesting. I, we haven't, no, Thank yeah, you. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, we haven't really looked at the age group difference. Okay. Um, I, I would say that the cynicism, there's, there, the cynicism kind of increased throughout the interview as as people um, may, sort of did this meaning making of, you know, what the apology had meant to them or how they evaluated it. And then as they kind of talked through since then, what has happened? So, like, we—I don't remember which one of you said a moment ago. You know, like all the time that has passed, and things that have or have not happened since the apology was given. Uh, and this is something that we actually found in all three of our case studies, where although people found the the, the apology to be quite meaningful, um, you know, they recognized the value of it. Um, because of maybe a lack of action, whether it is prosecutions exactly. or reparations or that sort exactly. of thing, because of the the relative lack of action or just unsatisfactory action that had happened, the the meaning of the apology was was um, tarnished in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say that that's where I saw some of the cynicism. It was like um, within the participant as they were working through the interview and answering the questions. That makes um, I don't sense. Know if you would agree with me, Marika, on that, on that. Um, but that's something that I noticed. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially here in Jeju, to talk about like the time of that apology, and then and Daryl's the date guy. I, I have a horrible memory when it comes to dates, but you know the the time of the apology, and then for things to really actually for anything actually anything further to happen was an immense amount of time. And, you know, talking about reparations, you know, even from the government, uh, Daryl, Daryl can probably pull that out of his hat. Like when was the first um, talk of monetary reparations? Well, the, the court that, that was case, just like th- the court case, that was just a few years ago. Yeah. I covered that in 2019. Yeah. I have to look it up, but I think it was after you guys were here, Um, was the first time that they, and it was only specifically for people who were wrongly convicted in, uh, mass court marshals and like getting their names cleared finally and stuff. So, I mean, imagine Mm -hmm. that, like here you have this apology that you're super excited about. So when, uh, Tia, when you're talking about that, you know, like the way, like I could almost, I could almost see it like going across their face, like this recognition of like here, yes, this apology was this. And then Mm -hmm. as they're speaking it out and really 
you know, sorting it in their brain being like, well, now wait a minute, you mm. know, how long has it been since that? So really interesting. Yeah. Mm. I, I, well, I just, no, I was waiting for a question, but I wanted to, to make a no, question. I just think it's so interesting. About, um, uh, just the, the, just comment about President No and, and kind of what, what how people have uh, evaluated the apology in light of his character. Uh -huh. um, that is something that we found, um, like in the survey that I was mentioning, we did ask people how much they trusted um, both the person that gave the apology and how much mm. trust they had in the institutions, you know, like the government and the courts and the, the military or the army. Um, and it was interesting to see um, how the level of trust did seem to have some effect on on their evaluation of the meaning um, and value of this apology. Um, and interestingly enough, when it came to the case of the Republic of Korea, uh, and this is different from our other two cases, um, that there wasn't a difference between um, the the people of Jeju and the people on the peninsula in, in their levels of trust okay. uh, of both the, the apologizing person, so the president, but also in the institutions. Mm -hmm. um, but it does say something, I think, about how um, the context, both the national context itself, but then also the context of who the person was and what happened after that, um, in terms of, you know, like in the case of President No and the things that we know about him, um, how that affected their evaluation of the apology itself. Mm. Um, and that's a yeah, difference. Yeah. And it, I think it's in, it's important to keep that in mind when we ask people, you know, well, what do you think of this apology? There are so many factors that are involved. Um, and and particularly for, I think, people on the peninsula where they don't have that, that personal connection to the massacre itself mm. and they don't necessarily have all the information, they need to be able, be able to evaluate it in light of other things that they may or may not know. Okay. Yeah. So you guys have mentioned a couple times about you have three case studies, but so one case study is JJ. What are the other two case studies? Just so we have, we we all know context. Yeah. Yeah. So our other case, uh, our three cases are um, the apology given by David Cameron, the mm -hmm. Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, for the Bloody Sunday uh, massacre. Uh, that apology apology was given in 2010, and the um, a uh, third apology is given by President, former President Funes of El Salvador for the El Mazotza massacre. Mm -hmm. uh, so these, uh, these are uh, three, three apologies. They're all for massacres that happened during conflict or war mm -hmm. um, conducted by government um, or uh, military. And, um, uh, and in all three cases, there was neglect and denial, like I like I mentioned before. So, in a way, these there's different reasons why we chose these three uh, apologies. Mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering, yeah, they yeah, yeah, they turned out very well uh, to be able to be comparable. Very, well. I mean, obviously, you never can really compare uh, war, conflict, suffering, but. Mm. Um, they, uh, we want it to be geographically spread, and we oh. also wanted it to be uh, an apology after 2000, so that we could speak to people that have a memory of the apology itself. And um, 
Uh, yeah, and we also actually were looking for uh, apologies or massacres that haven't been researched that much yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there was these were some some of the various reasons. Uh, it took us a long time to choose these case studies. I bet. Well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we took them from our database, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, we because we did so such nice coding, we could be like, okay, which which of the human rights <laughs> violations do we see are very prevalent? Okay, mm-hmm. this and then, yeah. okay, so what's interesting? Yeah, mm-hmm. so these. Um, yeah, back to that database that you yeah formatted. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'd like to just go back, and this might not be something you have accessible right away. But when when we were talking about you know that you were trying to do different ages and genders, how how many people did you interview? And was it always face-to-face? 127 people. 127 people. And it, yeah. and that was all face-to-face? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But the 127 is across the three case studies. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. To- to- total. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's important. Okay. Yeah. It was about 40 plus or minus uh, in Korea and then or in the Republic of Korea and then about half each in Okay. So half on Jeju and half on the peninsula, and then the same with the other two cases. And then and here, the survey, yeah, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then for the survey, again, it was about 300 or so okay. per country. So about okay. 150, 160 uh, people from Jeju Island, and then another 160 or so from the peninsula. Okay. And at that point, that, and I just wanted to go back, and at that point, you were really trying to be clear about the... Um, you know, that it was going to be a male this age, you know, you, you had that picked out already, correct? Yeah. So we had what we kind of call a stratified sampling approach where we had, um, a a table in a sense. And we said, okay, we want to have this many people who are between the ages of 18 and 34. And then Mm -hmm. another, however many between the ages of 35 and so you, you sort of divide them, right? So you have mm-hmm. 20 and then you have three age groups and then you have, uh, so you sort of like, you keep on dividing the columns. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. No, I remember that from doing, try, I had to research all these different like models for, ugh. yeah, no, I kind of remember that stuff from master's days. Not, not, not really my forte. So, <laughs> but so the Jeju massacre apology took 49 years to actually come about. Does the length of time from the massacre to when it is given, the apology, have any effect on it? Have you noticed in your research? This might be another question that you might not have the answer to, but uh, I'm curious. So uh, just from the database, actually, we could see that it's usual. There's like 1% or something uh, of apologies that have been offered by the person responsible. So Mm. the person who was in office. So that almost never happens. And then this is a very, very loose calculation because it's obviously we had to calculate when did the human rights violation end, sort Mm -hmm. of. And in some cases, it's quite straightforward. And in other cases, it it isn't. Um, But but, uh, generally speaking, you can say that it takes a generation, about 30 years before an apology is offered. Okay, so that's not uncommon. So it's not uncommon, no. Uh, I when? mean, this is, yeah, no, continue. Yeah. I mean, this is very long, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to say that it's, I mean, this is not a sort of a justification for the fact that it takes so mm-hmm. long, but it is, um, it does sh- show 
that it it just takes time. And this is also one of the arguments, right, to not apologize or excuses to to not apologize mm-hmm. is that national leaders, they say, oh, no, but we want all the facts on the table and mm-hmm. we don't know yet exactly what happened. So we need um, a fact finding uh, commission or mm-hmm. a truth commission or an inquiry. And in all three cases, that's what happened as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and that also takes time before it's established and then it has to happen and then a report needs to come. And I mean, yeah, for instance, yeah. in the United Kingdom, that, yeah. that took a very long time, the mm-hmm. Bloody Sunday inquiry. But that's also something that's, yeah, that's quite normal. Um yeah, so I was thinking even putting the team together probably was something that could be drawn out as long as possible, you know, like, well, okay, we're, we're getting to that. We're going to pick these people soon to go, you know, do this investigation. Yeah. Yeah. And for the Jeju 4.3, there was, especially for that uh, uh, inquiry, there was already much discussion on how to name Jeju 4.3. Yes. yes. And so, so these things, they're yes. so extremely important Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, but they also need to be decided if you're going to put things on paper. Yeah. Uh, also, when did it start? For example, uh, was it 1947 or 1948? <laughs> yeah. So, so these things, they're, they're very, um, uh, areas, uh, and they need to be out. Uh, yeah. You know what, Mary, I never thought about that, you know, cause I have a little bit of impatience to the, um, the way, obviously, just the slowness of Jeju, but I've also have a little bit of impatience with the name. Um, I, you know, like the, the 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 various names about it. But hearing you just say that, really, just like it was like a little light bulb moment. You just said, if you're gonna put it down on paper, these things are important. And I had honestly, I've never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. To me, I just I'm impatient with it. I just think, <laughs> you know, you know, it's happened you know, what are we debating about here? You know, but now Mm -hmm. when you say it like that, I'm like, wow, light bulb, really interesting. Yeah. And so I'm curious, when did you guys say the JJ massacre ended then? Oh, this seems like a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because you said you had to put parameters on it, right? Like when, so what, what, we say 1954. Okay. September 21st then that, that date. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That's generally because I, that I I find the more because I've interviewed people from Iran concerning the 1988 massacre there. I've done a bunch of I, for, for some odd reason now just start writing about different massacres and trying to get those truths down. And I've noticed that um, in my work that massacres are intensely personal, in a in a way, and that they don't end when the government says, says that it they, does, yeah. the, they end. So I, I was curious to see if you guys had found a different date or something like that. But we've kept you guys for so much longer <laughs> than we had intended. And In my head, I'm just like, gosh, I bet there's other things that they probably could really wow us with. But, but yeah. I, I think maybe if you guys were keen on it, maybe we could interview you guys again some other time in the future, you ladies. Yeah. Of sure. course. Is, is this there is, anything this else? Really enjoyable. <laughs> Good. Really. Is there anything I mean, else that you'd yeah, like to I, remark? I love to talk about my research. So yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine the amount of time. Like, you know, you heard Daryl say numerous times the word fascinating, but really, really, truly, like, 
I had no idea, you know, I'm not an academic. Um, I'm just a person who has an interest and I happen to be living on this island. So to hear what academics are doing out there to study is just like you said. So I mean, it's so fascinating to me. I, I We could talk to you for hours and just like pick your brains for all these things, you know, it really, really interesting work. And I, I hope I hope your I hope your studies continue to go well. Thank you. Now, well, before we, we do go, I did want to ask, is there anything else that you'd like to remark about the, the Jeju apology? Anything of mm. interest that we haven't covered? That Any questions I should have asked? Yeah, or something particularly <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh -huh. Well, I'm actually, because you see that, um, sorry, T, I'm, let me just start. You see that President <laughs> Moon, of course, also apologized yep. uh, afterwards. Yep. Uh, and now that uh, Korea has a new, or the uh, Republic of Korea has a new president, mm -hmm. I'm very curious as to whether he will visit the commemoration and and uh, how he will yes. uh, take up this um, this president from uh, President No and, uh, and Moon. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. interested. Yeah, that's a very good point, because before him, before Moon, he was the second one to come here, right? Like it was no, exactly. then we had like 12 years or whatever it was. And then Moon. 12, yeah. And then exactly. now. And Moon's visit was quite the surprise. Like there had been talk about it and there was rumors going around the island. And I think Daryl, I might even message you. I said, I heard Moon's on the island. And Daryl's like, no, I didn't see that anywhere. And I was like, oh, I, I heard like one of my uh, one of my girlfriends is an event planner. And I had and she had just kind of said something. And I was like, oh, I, I think he's here. And then suddenly, you know, mm. you, you get him pulling into the Peace Park. And mm. yeah, yeah. That, that was that was honestly a big deal for the island as well. Having Moon come down. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, and then this new conservative president, we'll see. I mean, already, already, uh, well, this is just a whole nother subject, that, but, <laughs> but you know, he's already given up the blue house and as, uh, mm -hmm. moving his office into, uh, mm -hmm. the military building. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's wow. it's going to be yeah. interesting. It'll be, it'll be a fascinating, uh, few years. That's for yeah. sure. I wouldn't be surprised if, if the prime minister comes down because that's who that somebody will think, come down. I also agree that there, he's he wouldn't be coming. I, I do think he would send his, someone else besides mm -hmm. himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to be to to be determined, you know, mm -hmm. we could be surprised maybe. Mm -hmm. And did, did you have something that you wanted to add about that you found? Um, actually, what I what I was thinking that I did want to say, I guess this isn't really along the lines of the apology itself, but more about our research. Um, you know, it's been very easy for us to just sit here and say, oh yeah, we found this and that, mm -hmm. but we really couldn't have done this without our collaborators, the translators, um, yeah. the research assistants. I mean, we did the interviews face-to-face -face ourselves, but the surveys were done by our research assistants who went, you know, and they met with people and they, um, especially if there were people who couldn't read very well, they helped them answer the questions, you know, they read them out. So there was a lot of work that went into this. Um, and and then only imagine. the people themselves who actually were willing to sit down and fill out a questionnaire or sit for an hour and, and tell us about their life. Um, we just, um, I just, we're really thankful and thankful is such a, a, a simple word to use, but you know, it, this is, this is part of the, the value of research, you know, yeah. they're great. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, just listening to you ladies talk, you can just get the uh, sense of uh, how much work, you know, how much behind the scenes, like, so even mm. just hearing all these facts that you're pulling out, we, everybody knows that that's just not coming out of thin air. They're mm. just the amount of work you guys are putting in is just really, really great. And if, if people want to figure out more about the political apologies, they can go to your website, politicalapologies.com. 
And, um, and we'll you, be posting it on our website for a quick link as well. Yeah, we'll great, we'll be great. spreading around, and they can follow them on Twitter at p o l a p o l underscore t i u. I'll also put that on because there's a bunch yeah. of capital letters and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, but thank you both so much for coming on and spending so, so, so much, much more time than you so much. Uh, committed to. So. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Sorry about <laughs> us rambling on and just picking your brains, but wow, we appreciate it. And I think our listeners will too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. And with that, we conclude the second part of our two-part primer or introduction into Jeju 4.3. As a disclaimer, uh, neither Alexis nor I are <laughs> experts on this topic, and we did try to give sort of like just an overview of the causes that led up to the massacre, the massacre itself, and then how the apology came about. So we specifically left out names for the most part and dates just to try to, like I said, give an overview of it. There's a lot more detail and specifics that went into it. And you can go to our website to see some links to more thorough information, but there's also the 4-3 Peace Park, which both Alexis and I greatly encourage everyone to go to as well as the read the 4-3 investigative report which is also available we link to that on our website and it is in English not necessarily the most uh how do you say politely uh there's a lot of mistakes in the writing of it but the information is solid and it does read easily enough that uh, you will get the gist not just the gist, it's it's quite dense. And actually, the 4-3 Institute recently came up with, a in the last six months or so, a uh, an, an, an amendment to it. It's a huge 600-page book of further research that has been conducted into the massacre. And I believe you can get those both for free at the museum. Now, I've already taken up an hour and 15 minutes of your time or so. So I'll, I'll stop rambling now. But thank you so much for those who have listened this far, for those who have listened to just a little bit, a uh, couple seconds even. Thank you so much for listening to our, our podcast, for, for giving us the time. We really appreciate it. Uh, we highly would appreciate it if you followed us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or whatever podcast catcher you may use um i'm daryl my co-host is alexis joy music is by uh, jason lisco and our art sarah hodgkiss and our uh wonderful website which is now live is by ted and his contact information is available through our website if you for any of your website needs definitely go to him Uh, until next time Be healthy and happy on JJ.